This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Tuesday, November 8th of 2022, Election Day. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear what's on the minds of Boulder County voters as they drop off their ballots. We'll also check in on the mood in Colorado's 3rd Congressional District, currently represented by conservative Lauren Bobert. Then, This Week in Water will tell us about a mineral other than lithium the electric vehicle market needs to thrive. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then it's How on Earth. Host Beth Bennett speaks with Pulitzer Prize winner Dr. Siddhartha Mukherjee about his new book, Song of the Cell, where he relates how the science of cell biology is transforming medicine. At 9 a.m. comes another archival recording of British philosopher Alan Watts. Then at 9.30, Carrie Marks will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still ahead, but first it's time for the headlines with KGNU's Luis Licon. The University of Colorado Boulder Centers for Study and Prevention of Violence has received a $2 million federal grant to help Colorado schools address gun violence by tackling the social and cultural roots of violence. According to a university press release, 2022 has already been a record year for gun violence in school settings, with 40 school shootings registered nationwide, killing 34 people and injuring 88. CU Boulder indicates that new funding will go towards developing a system for managing mental health referrals within K-12 schools. The new grant is in the latest in $100 million the University Violence Research Center has received in its 30-year history. Today is Election Day and voting centers around the state have seen a steady flow of people voting in person and dropping off their ballots. Maeve Conran checked in with voters in Boulder on how they're feeling about the election. There was a steady stream of voters dropping off ballots at the clerk and recorder's office in Boulder on Monday. No problems have been reported here, but for voter Randy Liss, election security was still a concern. I am frightened, to be honest with you, about seeing people with, there's nobody here, but I sound on the news that people are standing by ballots with guns and cameras and things like that. Voter intimidation. Liss says he has full confidence in the local election system, but maintaining the integrity of elections here and around the country was front of mind as he cast his vote. Making sure I do what I can that no election deniers are elected to office. Another voter, Stefan Steiner, was also concerned about election integrity, but his concerns lay with the election officials. There are going to be anomalies uh, throughout the election process, but here I feel secure. In a city where registered Democrats far outnumber Republicans, Steiner feels like an anomaly, but he says he hopes his ballot will make a difference. I hate discussing my conservative views because nobody in Boulder thinks like I do. But I am a conservative, I'm an old guy, and uh, I don't think what's going on at the moment is working very well, and I would like to see some changes made. For voter Kelly Ware, there's a lot at stake in this election. I have a trans son and I'm concerned about his rights and the way they're disappearing and also just to maintain our freedom to vote and freedom over our bodies. Voters have until 7pm this evening to drop off their ballots or to vote in person. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Maeve Conran. 
RTD will begin repairs on a four-mile stretch of Denver's light rail where a train car drove off the tracks in September. The R-Line derailment caused three passenger injuries. Recently, RTD filed a confidential investigation report to state regulators with information regarding the incident and the plan for repair. Crews began working on the damaged rails on Friday, according to a press release, as they work on repairs, they will also maintain and repair some train power lines. RTD has not publicly released its investigation reports, but Deborah Johnson, RTD's general manager and CEO, said in a press release that RTD has been working as expeditiously as possible to restore full service to the impacted four-mile stretch of the R-Line corridor. Boulder County Public Health is urging families to take extra caution as respiratory virus infections increase hospitalizations among infants in the Denver metro area. KGNU's John Kellen reports. This high surge in respiratory sinusoidal virus infections, or RSV, is straining limited capacity hospitals in Denver, already burdened by COVID-19 hospitalizations. RSV is a common illness that can cause mild cold symptoms, but can also lead to pneumonia and bronchiolitis. RSV can cause severe health risks in infants. A press release by BCPH recommends families with children showing cold-like symptoms keep them at home even if they've tested negative for COVID-19. Parents should contact a health care professional if their child is having difficulty breathing, not drinking enough fluids, or experiencing worsening symptoms. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. Boulder County Sheriff's Office released the identity of a man who died in police custody at a Boulder County jail last week. Officials say 22-year-old Avery Borkovic apparently had a medical condition that caused him to lose consciousness in his cell as he spoke with deputies. Life-saving efforts began as Borkovic was taken to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. He was being held on charges of criminal possession of documents and illegal financial transaction devices. Authorities say foul play is not suspected in the death and circumstances are not considered suspicious. Officials will continue to investigate the incident. Today we are going to see cloudy conditions across the Front Range. In Denver, we are going to see a high of 70 and a low of 39 with a current temperature of 47 degrees. In Fort Collins, there is going to be a high of 64 and a low of 34 with a current temperature of 34 degrees. In Boulder, there is going to be a high of 65 and a low of 34 with a current temperature of 37 degrees. For KGNU, I am Luis Licon. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Housing affordability, climate change, reproductive rights, and mutual respect for election results are some of the concerns on the minds of local voters. KGNU's Rosanna Longobetter stopped by the Boulder County Clerk and Recorders building yesterday to check in with voters as they dropped off their ballots. My name is Bill Riggler, and uh, I just dropped my ballot off using B-Cycle, which was a really fun experience. <laughs> only, only in Boulder, huh? Only in Boulder, that's right. Yeah, I love it. And I just read that B-Cycle is doing free bike rentals tomorrow on Election Day, which is even more cool. What are the issues that you consider super important in this election? 
Uh, I'm Gen X. My wife and I have both been priced out of the housing market here in Boulder. We can probably never afford to, to own. Uh, we know that's an issue with a lot of other working families and people who are just starting out. So for me, the really big issues in this election are affordability, uh, the environment, climate change, and safety and crime. Would you consider this election even more important than others? Every election is important. Uh, as you know, we watched what happened in January 6th uh, with the insurrection. We've seen uh, candidates across the country who are denial, who are in denial about the election results. Uh, and so, it fe this election feels like we're really tackling much larger systemic issues uh, around viability and just very basic principles of democracy. Thank you so much. Ladies, I am with KGNU, and I see that you're about to drop your ballots. Is it okay if I ask you questions about this election? Well, we are late for the tour. Okay. So, we, so yes. But. Oh, I understand you're going to be doing the tour this morning. That's so nice, yeah, where so. you see where the ballot is dropped and all that stuff. Yes. That's uh -huh. so fantastic. Is there something that you just want to tell me about, you know, coming the day before the election and having the tour and dropping your ballots just really quickly so you are not late okay well we're we're happy to be here to uh, go over and see how the ballots are processed and we have complete trust in the boulder county uh um voting right. process we were just saying how lucky we are we're not in a gerrymandered state where we have to stand in line and without any water for god knows how many hours is there an issue that you will say to me it is super urgent that people come you know, come out and vote, yes or no? On this ballot? Yes. Well, all of the Senate races and um, a, a lot of the ballot initiatives, too. Like, which one comes up to your mind? I think the, the feeding the children one. Uh, FF? Yeah. Yeah, and affordable housing. Yeah. Can you please give me your name? Linda Savard. And I live in Niwot. And Nancy Post-Vanderberg, and I live in Niwot, too. Thank you so much. Uh, my name's Julia, um, and yeah, I think it was super easy as well. I think it definitely makes it like much easier than most other states to vote here, especially for young people, because it's very convenient um, for it to show up at your door and stuff. What are the issues that you will point out urgent for you in this election more than any other? The housing situation, especially in Boulder, and the cost of living, um, and certain things pertaining to like small businesses and opportunities around that as well, um, I think are always just like, important things. So my name is Angelica Segura, and uh, the experience was honestly very easy coming from originally from Florida, where I feel like the voting experience is completely different. Um, I feel like Boulder County makes it super simple with having everything mailed to you. Um, we ended up actually having to walk and drop it off just because of the time that we're voting. Um, we can no longer kind of like send it via mail, but... Um, the experience is super simple, and I felt like it was just really important for us to come out and vote, especially now when being a part of the LGBTQ community and also as a woman, um, I feel like it's really important for us to come out and have our voices heard. Since you gave me a name that is Latino, and I'm sorry to just, you know, maybe... No, I am. I'm Dominican. Yeah. So if you can speak about the importance of translating these ballots or providing information to a wider community. Yeah, I think it's super important to have the ballot translated in both languages, especially because I feel like 
Latino voters are coming out in masses, especially in the, within the last couple of years. And even within my generation, I feel like there are so many of us voting. Um, so I feel like it's really important for individuals to like come in and feel like they're actually understanding what is put on the ballot, uh, especially because it's directly serving them rather than having like someone translate it. I feel like you feel more empowered to walk in and understand right off the bat what's on your ballot. For KGNU, I am Rosanna Longobetter here outside the county clerk's office. The candidates for Colorado's 3rd District were in the Roaring Fork Valley in the last few days, making their case to voters and waving flags. As Aspen Public Radio's Caroline Yanez reports for Rocky Mountain Community Radio, both Republican incumbent Lauren Bobert of Silt and Democrat Adam Frisch of Aspen were optimistic about their chances. On a chilly, brisk Friday with four days until Election Day, Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert was at the corner of Willits Lane and State Highway 82 in Basalt, waving a large American flag. Boebert and supporters waved to drivers as they passed by the small group. Since she launched her first congressional campaign in 2020, Boebert has become a national figure, known for her unabashedly pro-Trump sentiment, as well as her embrace of various conspiracy theories, including that the 2020 presidential election was stolen, QAnon, and the white supremacist Great Replacement Theory. She also caused a stir earlier this summer when she spoke at Cornerstone Christian Church, also in Basalt, where she decried the separation of church and state. The church is supposed to direct the government. The government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. And I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk. Aspen Public Radio was able to speak with Boebert on Friday, a rare opportunity given that her press team has yet to respond to multiple requests for a one-on-one interview, be it in person, over the phone, or Zoom. She says the media doesn't focus on what she's done for the district, like H.R. 4302, a forest management bill she introduced in 2021. There's environmental extremists who have locked down our lands and um, have pushed land grabs, and it prevented us from actually managing our forests, but then at the same time shout about climate change. When one catastrophic wildfire emits more carbon emissions in a few short days than every vehicle in the state of Colorado running for 24-7. H.R. 4302 is one of 40 bills Boebert is the main sponsor on. As of November, not one of those bills has made it out of committee. And some voters wanted answers from Boebert on Friday about what she's done for the district and the Roaring Fork Valley. Amy Beasley, a freelance journalist who lives in Basalt, was one of those voters. She says she had been hoping to have a conversation with Boebert about issues that were important to her. Health care, abortion access, and funding for public education. When I mentioned that stuff, she 
kind of came back with some angry words, some things that I had heard her say before in front of TV cameras and things like that. And she walked away, unfortunately. So it was not the conversation I'd hoped that we'd have. You know, I don't know if she would have changed my mind about voting her, but I could have gained some respect for her. And that didn't happen either. So it was kind of a fruitless engagement, unfortunately. Beasley voted for Boebert's Democratic challenger, Adam Frisch from Aspen, someone she hopes will be able to have these conversations. You know, in some ways, I feel like this kind of bombastic personality that she's created is like an audition for something that I'm not quite sure what job she's going for. But not being able to have an honest conversation with a 48-year-old voter who is just out there with her dog, (laughs) that concerns me. I mean, I'm not a person that she needs to be afraid of. I'm just a voter in her district. It was a more laid-back environment at El Sazón de Mi Tierra, a Mexican restaurant in Glenwood Springs. Adam Frisch ate lunch with members of his family and a variety of folks from the Democratic Party. Frisch feels good about the campaign he and his team have run so far. People want the circus to stop, and that's resonating with people. And getting back to issues about veterans' health care, rural health care, rural education, protecting water. And they realize they want someone that's going to sit down at the table and work in a bipartisan manner and not go there to try to ridicule and demean and be petty to people. He says it's a good sign that Boebert and her campaign have been decrying him and his record on Aspen City Council, that they see him as a legitimate threat. Boebert criticized Frisch's campaign again on Friday. It kind of seems like the Democrat campaign that I'm running up against doesn't have their own policies to stand on. It's just a referendum on Lauren Boebert, which is weird. You know, I'm for America and for freedom and, and getting our country under control again. So when all you have is the other guy's bad, I don't know. But voters like Judy Simichek, who lives in Blue Lake and came out on Friday to express her disapproval for Boebert, don't feel like Boebert stands for much either. I'll vote for anybody who would work across the aisle. I'm not set to one party. James Van Beek, he's a Republican. Our county sheriff, I actually really like him. I think he's a good guy. I voted for him. I'll vote across the aisle for anyone who's reasonable and willing to work. Lauren just votes no. She doesn't care if a bill is good. What does she stand for? She doesn't stand for anything. She just waves her flag and says, freedom, guns. That's not a platform. What's she going to do for us? Nothing. The Cook Political Report rates CD3 as solid R as of November 1st. The district leans Republican with Cook's partisan voting index giving them the edge by seven points. Republicans have an additional edge this midterm, as historically, the president's party tends to perform poorly in the midterms. Boebert expressed her confidence in what some are calling a red wave. I'm pretty confident that Republicans are going to show up in a massive, massive way. I'm hearing of a lot of Republicans who are showing up on Election Day, which is great. I'm voting on Election Day, and I have confidence that our voters will vote in the right policies that's going to get our country under control. Of the ballots turned in in the 3rd Congressional District, 33% have been Republican and 28% have been Democrats. But the race will be decided, as so many Colorado races are, by the unaffiliated. For Aspen Public Radio News, I'm Caroline Yanez. Time now for This Week in Water with H2O Radio's Jamie Sudler and Franny Halperin. A drone you can eat? That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. An OPEC of rainforests. That could be the nickname for a group of nations 
Brazil, Indonesia, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo who are in talks to coordinate their conservation efforts. The Guardian reports that the three countries contain 52% of the world's remaining primary rainforests, which absorb CO2 and keep it from warming the atmosphere. But if they're destroyed, those areas could become greenhouse gas emitters. The group could make joint proposals on carbon markets and finance to encourage developed countries to fund the conservation efforts of poorer ones. And it's possible similar nations like Peru and Cambodia would join the strategic alliance. Primary rainforests are pristine and untouched by human activities. The Amazon, the Congo Basin, and the Borneo and Sumatra forests have been threatened by logging and have been converted into cattle grazing pasture land and farmland for soybeans. The newly elected president of Brazil, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, known as Lula, pledged in the first speech after his victory to achieve zero deforestation in the Amazon. His predecessor, Jair Bolsonaro, promoted development and deforestation climbed to a 15-year high. The news comes as the COP27 talks have begun in Egypt and, for the first time, the issue of loss and damage could be on the agenda. The aim would be to provide money to developing countries for handling the losses already faced from climate change instead of just funds to prepare for the future. The electric car market could be in trouble if we don't get more of this mineral and we're not talking lithium. It's graphite, and it's needed for batteries. The U.S. government has listed it as critical to the country's economy and security. Graphite makes up 28% of car batteries by weight. Most of it has come from China and has not been mined in the U.S. for more than 30 years. The need for graphite is challenging because, while electric vehicles are necessary to combat climate change, mining the mineral can create environmental problems. The recently passed Inflation Reduction Act includes a credit for EVs, but only as long as their batteries are made with minerals extracted from the U.S. or from a country in a free trade agreement with the U.S. The largest known graphite deposit in the country is in Alaska where there are no roads, and mining could affect polar bears and rare species. Another site in Alabama used to be mined up to the 1950s, but environmentalists say it includes two waterways with fragile ecosystems and perhaps a dozen threatened or endangered species. Meanwhile, the price of graphite has climbed nearly one-third in the past year. Soybeans are a versatile crop used in everything from foods and cosmetics to plastics and biofuels. And now, using research from Iowa State University, the legumes could be on our roads. Traditionally, when roads get paved, they use a petroleum-based polymer to bind the aggregate to keep it from cracking. The polymer is not only in short supply, but also carcinogenic. But researchers were able to substitute soybean oil for the petroleum, and it performed just as well. Also, the roads could use a 100% recycled asphalt, keeping old waste out of landfills and reducing costs. Using their process, after recycled asphalt is put on a road, it's sprayed with the soybean oil emulsion and a compactor squishes it down into the final surface. It's a renewable resource, contrary to the common hot-mix asphalt pavements, which also require a lot of heat energy to compress. Riding on the success of their roadway experimentation, the team launched a startup company which has a line of products, including one that can repair damaged asphalt roof shingles to make them last longer. 
And finally, the potential for you to get your groceries, a cup of coffee, or an Amazon package delivered by drone is increasing as a number of companies are running trials. But what if you were stranded out in the wilderness waiting to be rescued and needed food and water? Most drones don't have enough battery life to reach remote locations. Fear not, help could be on the way from a drone you could eat. Swiss researchers have developed one with wings made of rice cakes. Part of the challenge with delivery drones is that adding weight can limit their range. So the team figured, why not make the deliverable, so to speak, part of the aircraft? They chose rice cakes because of their similarities to expanded polypropylene foam that's commonly used in drones because it's strong and lightweight. The researchers cut store-bought rice cakes, which are typically round, into hexagons and glued them together with gelatin to form the wings. Once dry, they were wrapped with removable plastic to keep them from disintegrating in wet or humid conditions. The prototype zips along at 33 feet per second, and the researchers estimate it could carry some water in addition to its edible wings, which themselves serve up 300 calories, about a typical breakfast. The team plans to experiment with larger wings with higher nutritional value and potentially making more of the drone edible. So in case the team is listening, rice cakes are a bit bland. Perhaps the next drone could add a honey glaze or some chocolate drizzle. That's it for this week in water. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. That's all the time we have for today's Morning Magazine. Happy birthday to student intern Christian Garaby from the entire newsroom. Tune in tonight for special coverage of the election. We'll be airing Democracy Now!'s program from 8 to 10 p.m. Mountain Time with live updates from the local and state elections. Thanks to Luis Licon, John Kellen, Alexis Kenyon, Maeve Conran, Rosanna Longo-Better, Caroline Yanez, Jamie Sudler, and Franny Halperin for their contributions to today's program. I've been your host, Shannon Young. Stay tuned for How on Earth. That's coming up just after the news headlines from the BBC.